Good morning, family. Hope everyone's having a good Sunday morning so far. So appropriate that we just sing hallelujah, if I can get that word out. Simply to say uh, praise be to God or God be praised, because that's what it means is, is as we're worshiping uh, and we're praising God's name and for who he is and what he's done as what we remembered this Christmas season that uh, he sent his son uh, to live for us and to die for us. And so we're going to continue our Advent series as we're preparing our hearts and minds for Christmas this uh, morning. We're going to be talking about joy. We've talked about the, the promise, and we've talked about um, faith, and now we're talking about joy. And the next week, uh, the day after Christmas, we're going to be summing it up with love about how that is really the point of this whole season. But we're going to dive into joy and why we should have joy this uh, season. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Dear Father, thank you so much for this time when we can gather together as your people and praise your holy name. Lord, I just pray for this time as we open up your word, as we see your truth, as we see a story that we've all probably heard so many times, but I pray that we can see it with new eyes, that you can show us the truth of who you are and how you sent your son and how he has saved us and who he is and how us knowing that makes all the difference. How what he achieved for us as he was born for us and lived for us, and then died for us, and then rose for us, and then ascended for us, and now is right now interceding for us that we can truly have a joy that surpasses all understanding. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Tis the season for joy, isn't it? We know that's true because we see it everywhere. We see it on Christmas ornaments. We see it on signs and decorations for Christmas. Joy or be cheerful. We sing songs about how we should have good cheer this season. And all this stuff, it points to the aspect that people know this season, this time is one of joy, where we should have a sense of joy about what has happened or what we're remembering it. I mean, even some people celebrate a jolly old joyful fat man coming down a chimney. Why? Because this is a season for joy. But there are many reasons, good reasons, that we do celebrate and we are joyful this season, but we also have to remember that joy is not always easy. Joy actually can be hard. For a lot of people, when they come to this season especially, or when they're just thinking about joy, and they're thinking about their life circumstances, it's hard sometimes to find joy. There might be some people who are experiencing grief, a loss of a loved one, and they're approaching Christmas. Maybe this is the first Christmas without that loved one, and, and they're struggling because there's grief. And they're wondering, where is this joy? There might be some people who are going through hard circumstances where life just seems to have gotten them down, and they don't know what's going to happen. And so they're like, well, how can I have joy in this? There are other people who maybe are just wired differently, and so finding joy is hard for them, and their baseline is kind of down here, where joy is up there, and so they feel like, how could I probably even struggle to find joy? I mean, I'm a little like that. I'm, my baseline is pretty low. It takes a lot to make me joyful. There's a reason my mom used to call me Eeyore when I was a little kid. It's, it's I was, I'm just always like, oh, okay, this is life. So it's going to be hard to find joy. I mean, so many other people might find it hard to find joy, even maybe just normal everyday people and the hustle and bustle that this season can bring upon you. Sometimes joy can be missed out. And like, well, how can I find joy as I'm trying to struggle to wrap 
presents for my kids and do these activities and have gatherings and all this stuff that really just seems to be putting a lot on me. So we recognize that joy can be hard to find, but there's also still, in the midst of all that being true, a joy that this season reminds us of. There's a truth, a, a, a joy that the seasons to bring to mind to us about something that is deeper than just our circumstances, something that's deeper than what we're experiencing or even what we're feeling, but something that is true, fundamentally true, that we're celebrating that should give us a new way to look at all these experiences from a new light and put them into the proper perspective. That we have a joy because we have a Savior being born for us, who was born for us, that we celebrate. And I think we see this joy in Luke chapter 2. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Uh, if you don't, it's going to be on the screen. We're going to read uh, the account of the shepherds and the angels starting in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And we see this joy in the birth of Jesus. So it says, in the same region, so let's just back up. If you guys remember the Christmas story, probably a story you've heard so many times, Joseph and Mary have traveled to Bethlehem. And so now it's picking up on that story in that same region. So outside of Bethlehem, on the fields, here are these shepherds. It says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with, an, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that they had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So what is joy? We're talking about joy, so probably it's good to define what joy is. Sometimes when we talk about joy, some people make this hard distinction between happiness and joy. You've probably heard that before. And I think there's some truth there because they're trying to express kind of where we find this. But when you look up joy in the dictionary, joy is just an intense feeling of happiness. It's just a, a big happiness. And then when you really study the words joy and happiness, there is so, no semantic reason by definition why they are different things actually the same thing. But I think it's good to make this distinction that happiness and joy, while related, are, can be considered different. Because happiness, generally when we speak about happiness, is setting your hopes and your dreams or, or feeling this, this, this sense of happiness based on circumstances or how things are going in your life or our relationship or things like that. And those things can be fleeting. 
Whereas joy is, is trying to express, or how we usually use it in church circles, is trying to express something deeper, something more lasting, something that's set on something more firm, something that is not based on how we're feeling or our circumstances, but something that's based on a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And so when we think about joy, what is joy? It's this intense happiness that comes from knowing who Christ is. It's this intense happiness that is not based on how well the day is going or how well I'm feeling or how well things are working out at work or at the home, but an intense happiness that's founded on something that's permanent and everlasting, and that's the love and the grace of our God who sent his son to be with us and to die for us. So that's what we're talking about, joy, something a little bit deeper than run-of-the-mill happiness, but something that we set our eyes and our minds and our hearts on God. Which, what does that mean when we read Luke 2 and we pull out what we should take from this? This is a simple fact that Jesus is good news of great joy. I mean, that's what the angel came to proclaim, right? He comes into these fields outside of Bethlehem, and what did he say? He says, fear not, shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy. For all the people. And so when we think about what this is telling us is that Jesus is good news of great joy. That when we think about who Jesus is, first and fundamentally, it is something declared to us. Something that has been declared that has happened to us. Good news. And this good news should bring a feeling and experience of great joy. A knowledge of great joy. And so when we think about what Christmas means to us, we need to remember Jesus is good news of great joy. For that's what we see in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. So let's just revisit that text and set the scene for us, if you will. We've, we've seen it probably depicted on, in, on TV, or we've maybe seen a nativity play where maybe it's depicted. But let's just think about what the text is saying. These, here are these shepherds. They're out in the field, and then all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord shows up. Now, it could be interesting to dialogue with you guys about what you picture when you think of angel and Lord, because not that much detail is given to us. But an angel of the Lord shows up, and the glory of the Lord shines around them. I imagine that they fall on their faces, and they're trembling with fear, and that they don't know what's going on, because what does, what's the first words of the angel? Fear not. That he recognizes that they, seeing the glory of the Lord shine around this angelic being, fall on their faces or are trembling or don't know how to process this. And he says, fear not. Why should they not have any fear? Because I bring you good news of great joy for, <clears throat> for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel came with an announcement of good news. And what was that good news? Fundamentally, it was Jesus has been born. Good news is, is when we talk about the gospel, gospel is just another word for good news. And when we're talking about what is the gospel, what is the good news that we celebrate or we believe in, fundamentally, you can boil it down to what is the good news? What is what we celebrate? Jesus has been born. A declarative statement of what has happened. We rejoice and we sing hallelujah. Why? Because Jesus has been born. Jesus is the gospel. 
that we realize that we need someone to save us. We realize we need someone outside of us that can bring us back to God, that we realize we need a Savior, and this is the Savior who's born for us, Jesus. That Jesus is the gospel, the good news. But he doesn't just stop there. The angel actually kind of separates and starts talking about why Jesus is good news for us. Why his, his being born is good news. And he tells that through listing this series of titles for Jesus. He says, there's a Savior being born for you. That when the angel uses this title, he says, you, you, you realize that you need to be saved. You need to be rescued. And here is coming someone who's going to do this. That we worship and we praise him because a Savior is being born for you. Now, we're used to calling Jesus or hearing Jesus called Savior. It's really um, how we probably primarily refer to Jesus. But it probably might, might surprise some of us when we read the Gospels. He's actually called Savior only in a few times. We see it more in the book of Acts. And then, of course, in the epistles as Paul is writing, he, he kind of highlights this role of Jesus as being a Savior. But primarily, when you read the whole of the Bible, it's God himself, God the Father, who is called Savior. And that's God who the people of God were expecting to save them. And we can even see this in the book of Luke itself, that when Mary receives the knowledge or the news that she's going to bear this child, she sings this song in response, a song of faith. And in Luke 147, what does she say? She says, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That Mary recognizes her need that for God to save her. And now the angel is saying, yes, there is that need that's true, but guess what is going to be fulfilled in this person, Jesus, that he is going to save you. He is going to take care of your sins. He is now going to bring you to God. But the angel also calls Jesus Christ, a savior is born, the Christ. This title, Christ, is simply the, the, um, the Greek word for Messiah, the one anointed by God. And so the angels point out, this is the one that's been expected for us. This is the one that God chose to send for us. And this is carrying all this imagery that this, the people, the shepherds would know, that Mary and Joseph would know, the people of Jerusalem and the Judea and the surrounding area would know because they were expecting and waiting for God's anointed one. And they knew that from the past because the, the people that God used to lead and direct his people were all anointed by God or anointed by a priest. And so priests were anointed, kings were anointed, prophets were anointed, and now he's coming here is the Christ, the, the one we've been waiting for, the one who's anointed that's going to fulfill all these roles about how God relates to his people, how God leads his people, how God communicates to his people. Now it's all going to be summed up in this one person, the Christ, who's been born for us. And so you can <clears throat> imagine that great news that this is the fulfillment of those promises they were awaiting for. But he's not just a savior, and he's not just the Messiah or Christ, but it's also the Lord. That the angel calls this baby the Lord. That when you read about who is the Lord, so often and mostly when you talk about the Lord in the Bible, it's talking about God. And so again, the angel is pointing to who this baby is. It's fundamentally something different than just another baby, something different than just another prophet or just another king or just another priest, but, some, but God himself, the Lord, who has now come 
for us, come to save us. And these three titles, Savior, Christ, the Lord, this revealed the greatness of Mary's son who was born for his people. They help you picture that scene of who he is. He's something that the people need, we need. But he's far greater than they probably even expected. But I love this scene. I love how the angel just does this rapid fire titles of Jesus. Because I cannot help but think about info commercials. Info commercials. So before streaming, for those who don't know what cable TV was, in the evening when nothing was on, there would be all these programs trying to sell you stuff, right? And they would have salesmen talking to you and saying, but wait, there's more about this project. And they'll throw up some other bonuses and all that stuff. And I cannot help but think about that when I see the angel talking about Jesus. And he's like, to have, there's, this, there's good news of great joy for there's a Savior born, but wait, there's more. He's also the Messiah, but wait, he is the Lord. God himself is coming down for you. I can't help but see his enthusiasm that probably translated to the shepherds as this angel is communicating the greatness of who Jesus is, that he is the full expression of God, the many come to the flesh to represent us, to bring us back to God, to save us from our sins. And what immense joy that would be, that Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the gospel, the promised one of salvation. I love the fact that the gospel, the good news, is so deep and rich in what it does for us that you could write essays after essays and books after books that have been done about what the gospel is. Or you can boil it down to a simple fact of Jesus coming for us. This is why Jesus is good news of great joy. But why does this good news bring great joy? We've been leading up to Christmas talking about how Jesus is, is the promise fulfilled. These promises in the Old Testament, these promises of who God is, that he's fulfilled. We've been talking about the faith of Mary and the faith that we should have in these promises fulfilled and how these, these are all true and they should bring us joy. But I think fundamentally, why does this good news bring us great joy is because Jesus coming to us fundamentally meets the greatest need of humanity and so we have joy. The humanity, all of us, you and me and everyone outside of this building was made and created, designed bit by bit by God himself to have a relationship with God. That is who what humanity is. We are made to be in relationship with our creator. But because of sin, because of Adam and Eve and how they rebelled, we no longer can relate as we're made to. We are fundamentally broken and we're living in a broken world, experiencing brokenness every single day. And so we need something outside of ourselves to fix this. We need something to fix ourselves. We need something to fix that relationship between God. And now here comes Jesus who does that. And so we have great joy. That fundamentally, when we talk about joy, we're talking about the fact that God has sent his son, who is God himself, to live for us and to die for us and to, and to rise for us and then to intercede for us. And now is going to come eventually one day back for us. And so we have great joy. 
knowing who he is and how he is saving us. We have joy because when we read about uh, the Christmas account, or we read about how God is, is saving us through Jesus Christ, we realize that we were made for this. I love that expression. You probably have heard it for many organizations or for jobs, or maybe people have said it. You know, they're doing something that they feel fulfilled in, and they're like, man, I was made for this. But fundamentally, all of humanity was made for this truth, that Jesus has come for us, that all of humanity was made to find their completion in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is good news of great joy. And the multitude of heaven of the heavenly hosts agree. For after the angel decrees this to the shepherds, what happens? All of a sudden he was surrounded, the angel was surrounded by this, this, this heavenly host, and they sang, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is a song of praise expressing about the greatness of who God is and, and the feelings we should feel and the reality that is coming because Jesus was born for us that we actually have peace on earth. This is a message of great joy because peace is not our natural state. The reality is, as I said, without Christ, depart from God, peace is not the natural state of humanity. We actually are in a conflict with ourselves, with this world, and with God himself. That, that is where natural humanity, since Adam and Eve, dwell. It's the testimony of the whole, ba- whole, whole Bible. We have Isaiah saying, we, are, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has gone his own way. We have Paul declaring in Romans how all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have him continuing. He says, for we, all have all, we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As there is none is righteous. No one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside together and they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And that's a hard concept to get that we are not following God. Actually, I don't think it's that hard because we just have to look around and we see the truth of it in our own hearts and in the world. But that's the natural state of humanity. And because of that, there is wrath, judgment, coming towards us. And that's hard to talk about because usually we have, we have bad experience with those fire and brimstone preachers talking about the wrath of God and we don't like it. Because when I hear that, I re- I'm reminded of the guy who would show up on my college campus wearing a sandwich board, shouting at people because the sandwich board had all the people who were going to hell written on it. All the different types of people, including college students, which I said, well, why are you here then? But he's, he's, he's sitting there and, and all he would do is shout about the wrath of God. And, and that's how so many probably of us perceive this concept, but it's the fact that God is holy, God is just, God is perfect, and yet now he wants to relate to imperfect, fallen humanity, and he, and he can't relate to him as where he's made to. We're made to relate to him because of that sin. He has to get rid of sin. He can't just brush it away. He's a good judge. He is just. And so we're calling this 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 dilemma, how we are under this wrath. And so when we realize that truth, all of a sudden when we realize what Jesus came to do shows that sweetness and why we should be filled with joy. 
that Jesus came to take care of all that. That Jesus came to actually absorb and take on and endure and be swallowed by the wrath of God so that now when God looks upon us, he has nothing but love for us. That now when God sees us, he sees no sin anymore. He doesn't see a fallen humanity anymore. But if we're in Christ, what does he see? He sees his beloved sons and daughters who he's bringing to completion, who he's going to bring home on that last day. So when we realize that, how could we not possibly rejoice? It was not us. We didn't do anything to earn this. We didn't do anything to achieve us. We didn't get our lives together. And then God loved us to know when we're at our worst, Jesus shows up. And he brings us to God taking care of our sins. And that's how we can have peace on earth. That's how the angels could, the multitude and the heavenly host could proclaim this. Peace on earth. How is that possible As sin is reigning, there is no peace. And now they can say, but yes, there is because Jesus has come. And he's going to bring now peace to this earth as people are now reconciled with their creator. The passage that Lane read at the beginning of the service, I think this so clearly illustrates what happens in that. In Romans 5, Paul is saying, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That we have peace peace with God. Why? Because Jesus has stood in our place and taken our sin. We have peace with God. How? Because Jesus has stood in our place and not only have taken our sin, but now he's given us his righteousness. And so now we can stand before our just and holy God as one of his. And now we can experience peace, the peace we've been made for, a relationship with God. Jesus is good news of great joy as we reflect upon how he has saved us. This language of peace is used a lot this time of year. You'll find it on Christmas cards talking about peace on earth. You'll see it in programs, peace on earth. And there's a sense where, yes, fundamentally the truth of this actually extends beyond disbelievers that there, there can be a peace that people recognize and are striving for and this, and this time of year probably encourages them to be moved in that direction. I can't help but think of the Christmas truce of, of 1914. If any history buffs have heard the story, it's, it's, it's one of those truly remarkable things about how in World War I, trench warfare, the, the, the British people against the Germans and, and they're having bitter fighting, but Christmas rolls around. And what happens? They start singing Christmas carols to each other. And Germans get out of the trench and start approaching the Allies' lines. And before you know it, they're sharing their Christmas treats that they got in care packages, and they're playing a good game, good-natured game of soccer. And that this, the reality of peace is kind of almost over, that, that Jesus brings is almost overflowing into people realizing this broken world and its conflict is not how it's supposed to be. But that's just an echo of that because that didn't last. For after Christmas, the shells started falling again and bullets started flying again. But that points to and that's an echo of the fact that we can have peace with God through Jesus Christ and that's actually how it should be. 
God's peace that comes through Jesus Christ when we know Jesus is, is so much more than this that. It's everlasting and it reaches our deepest need and it brings us not just reconciling us to our fellow man, but reconciling us to our maker. So we have peace on earth. But some people don't want to finish the line in the text. It says we have peace on earth with those with whom he is pleased. People don't want to like that line because they're like, man, such a good concept, peace on earth. And then you got to put a little asterisk, to put a little caveat. It's with whom he is pleased. And so you know, some people start focusing on that restriction on this peace. But, but I would argue, let's not, let's not focus on that restriction. Let's focus on what it's saying. With those with whom he is pleased, that through Christ, God is pleased with you. Think about that for a second. Let that sink into your hearts and your minds. I don't know about you, but that blows me away. Because it goes to how we view God himself. Do we think God is an angry tyrant up there declaring you guys are worthless? You haven't lived up to my standard? You're all going to hell? Or do we actually see him through the lens of the gospel? that he's pleased with us, that he looks upon us with love, that there's no anger, there's no wrath, there's no disappointment, because those have all been poured on Christ. And with us who know Christ, all he sees are his beloved kids. And he's pleased with you. He's pleased with you. I can't help imagine being a father. I, you, I am pleased with my kids. Now, sometimes I don't act like I'm pleased with my kids, but I'm pleased with my kids. I love them. And I, can, I could show you a picture of my son or a picture of my daughter, and I could brag on them all day long about how great they are and how their quirks make me smile and how the hopes I have for them and, and how I pray for them. I could do that. But God is pleased with us so much more that that image I can't help but let's use some, some creative imagination that he could circle his angels up and the multitude of heavens up and he looks down on us and says, look at my child. Aren't they great? Oh, they got some quirks, and that's funny. But they are mine, and I love them. This is what it means that God is pleased with us. That he loves us, he cares for us, and he sees us through the lens of Christ as we stand in Christ. So why do we have joy this season? Well, we have joy because of Christ, that we walked through all the things we've, we've, we've pointed to, that he is a savior, that he is the Christ, that he is the Lord, and that he brings this reality to us, that fundamentally we have joy because of what he achieves for us, which is us being reconciled with our creator God, our righteous king, and so we have joy. And I can't help but look back at verse 
20, when the shepherds, they go back and they see, hey, the angel who said we'll find this, this child in the manger, guess what? We found him in this major manger. And what do they do? It says, and the shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They were glorifying and praising God. Why? Because it's one thing to be told, even by an angel, it's one thing to be told, hey, good news of great joy is coming away. And it's another thing when you actually see the truth of that in front of your eyes. And they realize the truth that they should have great joy. Why? Because if that is true, what the angel pointed to, and they see that true, then what Jesus is going to be for them and what is for us is true as well, and they have joy. Jesus is good news of great joy. So this Christmas season, as we are right in the thick of it, I don't want to alarm anyone, but Christmas is less than a week away. Right in the thick of it, in all the hustle and bustle, and all the things that are going on, what does this mean for us? And I would just say, know the joy that comes through Christ, that brings the peace of God this season. Don't look for peace and don't look for joy and those other things. Yes, have happiness and have good joys with family and loved ones, but underneath it all, the undercurrent that should gird up this whole season is that why are we rejoicing? Because we know who Christ is and have that joy that fundamentally changes us and where we can see past our circumstances to the truth of who he is and how much God loves us and what he has in store for us and how he's moving heaven and earth for our salvation. So we can focus on that and rejoice this season. And then use all the celebrations. No matter what they are, use those celebrations that you do this season to remind yourself and point your heart and minds back to the joy that comes through Christ. Remind yourselves again and again the truth and the great news that God loved us so much. Not because we're lovable. Not because we're smart. Not because we got it all together. Because that does not describe any of us. <laughs> but because he loves us in spite of ourselves. And he sent his son to save us. That is joy. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are. Lord, thank you for the celebrations that we can have this season where we can remember and celebrate the fact that you sent your son for us, where we can rejoice in the fact that you love us enough to, to move by sending your son to live for us, to be born for us, to live for us, and to die for us. Lord, I just pray for everyone here and everyone who calls River Valley home that we can take some time during the season to rejoice. Even in the midst of pain or even in the midst of grief or even in the midst of maybe just not feeling like you want to rejoice. That we can take some time and see who you are and see who your son are and so we cannot help but rejoice in the salvation we have in Christ. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and we pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand again.
and sing about this joy.